Calvin, uh, Calvin Hendoko, uh, who's been with us now uh, since he graduated from uh, college last year, uh, and now he's finishing an advanced or accelerated MDiv program through Northern Seminary. Um, almost all of you know who Calvin is, but Calvin is so often with our kids that if you don't come very often or you're visiting, you probably don't know who Calvin is because he's so often with the kids. Uh, Calvin is preaching his first sermon here at Grace this morning. It's such a privilege to, yes, right? We're so excited and we're so blessed to have Calvin as a part of our ministry team. Uh, it's a pleasure to work with him. And um, come on, bring us the gospel, Calvin. Awesome. Check, check, check. Can you guys hear me? Awesome. Well, thank you, Pastor Bob, for the warm welcome. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Calvin, and I'm the Youth and Young Families Minister here at Grace. It's an honor to be here and pleasure to be with you all as we discuss our text for today, John chapter 9. We really have a long text today, so would you follow me as I read along John chapter 9, verse 1, verse, till 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sand. Then, they, then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar begins to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. For he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said again to the blind man, 
What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how it is that he now sees, nor does we know how he opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said, to, said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did you do? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and saying, you are his disciples, but we are, dis we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Jesus answered, here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and he found him, he said. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one who is speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came to this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely are we not blind, aren't we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have not sinned. But now that you say, We see your sins remain. Let us pray. Father God, we th give thanks for today. Uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here as one. Jesus Christ, we give thanks that through your death and resurrection that we were able to hear the gospel today. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see the work that you're doing in our life and help us to be moved by the word today and take, to take action. 
after. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. I want to open today's homily with an ancient story. This is the parable of the Chinese farmer. My dad used this story a lot in a lot of his sermons. So I figured that I'm going to use one as well. So once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer who just lost a horse, ran away. His neighbor saw what happened and said to him, Oh, that's unfortunate. He said, Maybe. On the next day, his horse came back. But this time, it brought seven other wild horses with them. And again, his neighbor saw what happened and said, You're so lucky. You got seven other wild horses. Now you have eight. He said, Lucky, maybe. So then, the next day, he asked one of his sons to tame all those horses out in the field. So then, his son went out there and tried to tame all of the horses. Unfortunately, one of the horses kicked his leg, and he broke his leg. And the neighbor saw what happened again and said, oh, I'm so sorry. That's a tough loss. And then, and then he said, tough, maybe, you know. And then a couple days after, some of the government officers were in town to gather some of the men in the village to do some military forces. But they rejected that son, his son, who had his broken leg because of the horse. And then the neighbor saw what happened and said, you're lucky that your son's legs is hurting right now. And then a few weeks after what they've heard about the war, turns out that most of the men who have gone to the war died because of, because of the war. And again, the neighbor saw what happened and said, you're one lucky guy. And this farmer said, I don't even know what's, what's good or bad, what's lucky or not. Because I hope that we know that from this story, that the moral of this story is that very few events can be truly judged as good or bad, as lucky and unlucky, as fortunate and unfortunate at the time that they occur. In many cases, only time will tell the truth. We are in a culture where public opinion is shaped no longer by objective truth, but with emotions, with current situations, and personal beliefs. It is not surprising to find people that use their feelings as their primary standard to assess everything. Things like, as long as I feel good, or just follow your heart, you deserve to be happy. Find, go find your own happiness, and etc. In addition to that, we believe that things ought to be a certain way. We feel that things in life should be generally good for us. We now tend to label our experience as bad if we hate it, and good if we like it. So the question becomes, how do we respond as Christians? 
How do we respond to this cultural paradigm? Let's learn this from the story in John chapter 9. This passage of the Gospel of John raises the tension between Jesus and his disciples and the religious leaders who despise him. In previous chapters, Jesus has confronted the hypocrisy of those who claim to understand the scriptures, but who reject what it says. He also challenged the tradition by healing on Sabbath day. In this chapter, Jesus will once again perform a miracle on Sabbath, resulting in no small controversy. When the dust settles, local religious leaders will be thoroughly embarrassed, thoroughly embarrassed, not by Jesus, but by the man who had been healed. So the summary of the story, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is walking and going through one of the temple gates, and he comes across a blind man who has been born, been born blind. He walks up to him and heals him. He immediately able to see. His neighbors are trying to figure out how this has happened. He goes through an interrogation with his neighbor, and he can't really answer who did this because he never saw him because he was blind. He doesn't know how exactly this happened. Then this man is brought to the Pharisees who are supposed to give some kind of explanation as to how this could happen. There's an interrogation by the Pharisees. However, the Pharisees reject his testimony and also the testimony of others who have seen this man being healed. And they eventually ended up throwing this healed man out of the community. His parents showed up in the story, but eventually they throw him under the bus to protect themselves. At the end of the interrogation, Jesus reject the miracle. They reject Jesus and the miracle still. Jesus entered the scene again in verse 35 to reveal his identity as the Son of Man. Jesus' disciples saw a man blind from birth. That's in verse 1. They triggered them. This triggered them to ask a question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Although we might be, may be puzzled by this seemingly strange and insensitive question, from the ancient Jewish perspective, the question was very understandable. The disciples expressed a common view that various deformity, disease, and physical ailment can be the result of sin. They used to hold a kind of narrow retributive theology. Retribution theology holds that people are treated by God based on how they behave. For example, if you have a cancer, it is because of God's punishment of your misdeed. And for example, again, if you are wealthy, that means that it, because you please God with all your works that you're doing. To put it simply, obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings curses. With such a mindset, they spontaneously attempt to relate the blindness of men to his sin, whether that is the sin of the blind man or his parents. They could not see beyond their theological paradigm. Let's pause a second and think about our lives. There are things that happen in our life, and we are tempted to judge those things solely on our worldly assessment. For example, 
Maybe some of us are thinking about that, the suffering that goes on in the city of Chicago as a result of gun violence and all, that, all the complex problems we have in our neighborhoods are never going to change. It is hard sometimes to, see, to understand what we're going through at the moment. But from this story, we learn that Jesus offers a new perspective. In this story, Jesus challenged us by giving us a new paradigm. Jesus shifts the focus from considering what the men or his parents have done for, for the works of God. With one statement, Jesus completely obliterates all the, the whole theological system. Because Jesus is now saying, somebody can have a severe congenital lifelong illness that has nothing to do with his own sin or the sins of his parents. The whole system, Jesus wiped out in one statement. Therefore, we can say that good or bad is intimately related to accomplishment of God's plan for each of us. Remember, verse 3 said, it was not that this man had sin or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. It's like Jesus is saying, like, turn away from your fixation on causality of the decisive explanation of suffering. Jesus is saying, turn away, turn away from trying to connect sin and suffering in this story, and let's turn our attention to the fact that the blindness came about in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. This reminds us that God's work is not to condemn people to darkness. Instead, it is to bring light in them. The man was not born, born blind as a punishment or as of the result of sin. Through the blindness of men, Jesus was able to show who he is, his identity as the light of the world. As a sign, the healing was eventually successful in bringing the men to have a personal encounter and knowledge of God. He is blind for the glory of God, we may say. He is blind so that we could come to this moment and through the healing, the power of God may be put on display and the work of God be manifested and God be glorified. The man's blindness will show that God's purposes are to bring light to the darkness in, of human existence. The truth is that we all struggle with feeling hopeless sometimes. And it is in our tendency to make sense of everything using our own knowledge about certain things. I can't even count how many times have I felt hopeless in life, looking at the violence that is happening all around the world, looking at the suffering of others, and even just to look at the future of humanity. But one thing I've learned from this story today is that having the perspective of Jesus, meaning seeing the world like Jesus sees the world, is what we really need in order to make sense of this world. From this story, we know that what had initially been considered a bad thing now became a good thing. The healing of the blind man would, would eventually go enmity from the part of the Pharisees. They became more determined to arrest and crucify Jesus. After the resurrection of Lazarus, they finally executed their plan. 
Jesus was arrested and was put on just trials. He died on the cross. Let's look at the cross for a second. If we were, if we are asked ourselves whether such a horrible death is a good thing, I think that we will probably give an affirmative question that Jesus' death is a good thing. But how can it be? Jesus did not feel comfortable with his faith. Jesus struggled to embrace the moment. If his feeling is his primary standard, his death on the cross would definitely be considered as a bad thing. But praise be to God, Jesus knows well how to measure the quality of something. He doesn't idolize his feeling beyond the plan of God. In John 12, verse 27 to 28, he boldly says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. To conclude this homily, I would like to remind us again to be careful with various cultural paradigms around us. What matters most is not what we feel or what we know about what happens to us, but what matters the most is how what happens in our life can bring glory to God. I would like to invite you to look at your world through Jesus' eyes. Our lives is not about us, and we know that. It's about Jesus. It's about God's glory being served in our lives. Let's thank our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has willingly sacrificed his feeling for our sake. His blood has cleansed our selfish heart. As a kind of gratitude to him, let's endeavor to let go of our own feeling for the benefit and edifications of others. Let us learn to embrace bad things in our life and as an instrument to display God's perfect plan. Let's do his works joyfully, knowing that we indeed live to glorify and enjoy him forever. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen.